0: You know, if there's any season where Jesus feels more alive, if there's any season where the hope that he brings is tangible and palpable... Uh, It's Christmas, isn't it? Uh, And the reason for which is pretty obvious. There are so many signs and so many symbols of his presence and promises, right? They're all around us. The feeling is in the air, as the song says. Uh, You know, these candles, these trees, these lights, the decorations, the songs, the music, the sleigh rides, the plays, the clothes that we only wear once or twice a year. All of those things assist us, all that facilitates and highlights and underlines all that we believe about Christmas. And because we are fleshly creatures, because our senses are so wired and are, you know, from seeing and touching and hearing, tasting and smelling, when all of our senses are so distinctly and so classically activated by the same thing or the same purpose, um, of course, we're gonna feel a little closer and we're gonna feel better and it's just gonna feel more... Real And and I've said this a lot this season, but I think as Christians and as the church, we ought to lean as hard into the festivals and the pomp and the circumstance of the season as we can because of all the things that amplify and remind us from God that he has drawn near to a sinful and broken world. You know, really, December um, is a built-in or an annual reminder for renewal, an annual opportunity for renewal and revival for every Christian and every church. We should look forward to it, of course, for for all the fun that Christmas brings it, but we should look forward to this season because it is an annual opportunity to renew and revive our devotion to Christ. And because in it, we can feel so saturated with the things of God, with the promises of Of God, that of course um, are not found in these signs or these symbols, but they are found in something and in someone much greater that they point us to. You know, if we allow this time of year, the sounds of all the songs, the taste and smells of all the treats, the the sights that are all bright around us, if we allow the handling of the decorations and the trinkets and the packages and the boxes and bags to transfer our spirits uh, to our spirits, the meaning behind it all. I mean, why in the world shouldn't we leave this month the most spirit-filled, the most empowered, the most bold and resurrected saints of God this world has ever known? Every December should should raise the people of God up with a renewed and revived sense of appreciation and life. But I've noticed something about Christmas in my own heart and life that I think you might can relate to. I've noticed something over the past years of preparation and celebration, which I can remember, which I think I can recall about 26. So maybe since I was about four, I can recall most of the Christmases and they kind of blur together, but I think I can distinguish most of them, Um, which you know, if your memory isn't as good, don't feel bad. It's not really special remembering the difference between 1994 and 1995. It means something to me, but it doesn't mean much to anybody else. But a few weeks ago, because this is how my mind works, I sat down to try to remember every Christmas as far back as I could and I kind of wrote it down. I don't know why I do this. I write stuff down sometimes and I look at my notes and think, why is that in my notes? So I'm not going to bore you with details of Christmases of yore, but I, I try to just to think back at what Christmas was like and you know, what I remember about that one and this one and you know what stands apart. But the common thread that I can recall as I look back to all those Christmases and relive all those memories, the days and weeks that were around them, I, I can remember back to so many Decembers, and recount and recall all the bliss and all the brilliance and all the fun and the joy of the weeks before and the days before. But something that stood out about almost every one of my Christmas memories is how every year the excitement builds and builds, and it peaks on Christmas morning, and from there the memories begin to fade and get dim. And maybe that's just because as a child, our focus is about waking up and being around our Christmas tree with our families. And of course, we remember being there with our moms and dads and siblings or, you know, being with our family around our Christmas tree in our living room or wherever we gathered on Christmas morning. But even if your most anticipated Christmas, you know, part, part of Christmas is lunch or dinner that same day, isn't it true that once you lay your head down that night, it's just over? I mean, as soon as the house is clear, as soon as the dishwasher is full, as soon as the trash is piled up, as soon as the TV is turned off, once the lights are turned off for the last time, all of those Christmas sounds and smells and tastes and traditions are just gone. And you lay in bed that night, and yes, you're full from all the fun that you've had, as well as exhausted, but for almost all of us, isn't it true that Every December 25th, or maybe you celebrate a day or two after with your families, but every year when the celebrations are over, when the day is done, sometimes you just lay in bed that night or you wake up the next morning, you just kind of feel numb and you think, did, I really, did all that just happen? Did we really just do that nonstop for days and weeks on end? And you wake up on December 26th and maybe you're excited to wear something new or maybe you're excited to use something that you receive. But as far as the Christmas spirit, as far as the Christmas feeling, It's like it was just evaporated. Maybe you can relate to me on that and maybe you've had years that are more like that than others. But maybe you're the person that once Christmas is over, you're done with it. And it's not because you didn't love it. It's just because it's, hey, it's a new day and it's time to move on. And you you wake up the next morning before the day is half gone, your house looks like Christmas never happened. And, and that's, if that's you, that's fine. I'm the same way. But as far as the vibe, as far as the feeling, as far as the energy, the joy that was palpable and present for months on end before, as far as all that, it's just gone, isn't it? I think we've all universally experienced this before and maybe we just write it off as being delirious from all the busyness. But I think there's something to be studied here because all that warmed our hearts And all that filled our souls for weeks on end from November to December 25th, it's like it's nowhere to be found the day after Christmas. And whatever lingering mist there is, give it a week tops, let the new year roll in. And it's almost like Christmas never came. And again, this isn't about the festivities or the decorations. It's about those things, the things that those did for our moods and our attitudes, things that clearly and noticeably changed about us as we celebrated the season. But you take all those things away and whatever mood and attitude swing was associated with them. And isn't it odd? Isn't it odd that the hype of Christmas seems to leave the air a thousand times faster than it ever filled? the air if Christmas really brings what we sing about and what we gather in honor of shouldn't it leave us refreshed and renewed and rededicated shouldn't it make us feel like we just began again like we just believed for the first time And shouldn't we wake up every day like we do on December 25th? If Christmas means what we sing about and what we gather for, the cause of, how in the world are we not waking up every single day with an ever-growing amount of enthusiasm? And if I'm being honest, I think that no matter how much our hearts are hyped up for and for the build-up to Christmas, I think the true measure— I think we had some little flicker there, it'll come back on— I think the true measure of what Christmas means to us and what Christmas has done for us is evident in how much joy is in our hearts in the days after Christmas. The true measure of what it means to us and what it's done for us, the impact it's had on us is not in the buildup, but it's in how much joy is in our hearts in the days after after Christmas. But therein lies the problem. Hype is an unreliable source of joy. Hype is an unlikely source of joy. And we'll never have the joy of Christmas, the lasting joy of Christmas. We'll never have the joy of Christmas if we've settled for the pre-Christmas hype. We need something better than Christmas hype because hype is temperamental. Hype is temporary. Hype is so easily shaken. Hype can handle any inclement weather. Hype is dampened by even a bad forecast. And ultimately, hype is unsustainable. Hype always has an expiration date. And truth be told, Christmas hype comes to an abrupt halt on December twenty fifth but something tells me and I think deep down inside you would agree something tells me that Christmas was meant for much more than just hype and again it's no fault of all the window dressing the background music that makes this time of year so infectious but I think what it comes down to is this that ultimately Christmas is about an invitation to not get lost in all the fervor but be inspired by it and to make a choice, a choice to step beyond the Christmas hype and embrace Christmas hope. You see, Christmas at its core is an invitation from God to put our hope in him, in his promises and in his plans. The hype of the season, it's great and all, but as we said, Christmas hype often ends on December 25th before the day's even over, but Christmas hope is just beginning the day after and every day after. Now the two aren't mutually exclusive, hype or hope can be excited, hope can be hype, but the true reflection of hope is when there's basically no hype whatsoever, hope can still be and should still be unwavering in its nature. The true message of Christmas and the true gift of Christmas is that it prepares us for a world without all the pageantry, when the worst is peeled back and exposed, Now, y'all know me, I love the romanticized, fanciful version of Christmas we celebrate. I think that all the hype ought to lead us by the hand to a hope that will accompany us beyond this season. So many of us, though, we settle for hype over hope because hype is cheap and hype is superficial. And here's the grimier version of why we often settle for the hype and never embrace the hope of the season. Hype does not threaten the grip we have on our idols or rather the chokehold they have on us. So many of us stop short of celebrating the hope of Christmas and embracing the hope of Christmas and we settle for hype because that does not threaten our idols. We we relish in Christmas time because it makes us feel relief and peace but for a season we believe that Any more than that is impossible. But we know as Christians that it's not impossible. That there is a hope that you can embrace, that Christmas promises you and longs to produce within you. But to find this hope, to obtain this hope, to hold fast to this hope, we've got to be honest about our tendency to jettison the spirit of Christmas as soon as the season ends. We've got to come to terms with our nature, which is to miss the true spirit of the season, to resist the true hope of Christmas because we just can't let loose of our hope that is in other things. The reality is that we will settle for a less intrusive version of Christmas if we're not careful. And truth be told, we already have. Because at its core, Christmas is an invitation from God to make a great exchange of our hope, And our faith, specifically where we have placed our hope, where we have placed our faith. Now, the word exchange is something we talk about a lot in the post-Christmas season, right? We make plenty of exchanges after Christmas. Usually we exchange the feeling of the season for the feeling of every other season. But this is about the reverse. This is about seizing this season's hope and joy and sustaining it. And in the incarnation, God exchanged his glory for our flesh, jumping all the way in for our humanity so that we might be invited to exchange our flesh for his glory and be all in on him and his plans for us you see every christmas is an opportunity to come before god and make this great exchange and renew our hope in our faith for the if you've never done it but for the first time what a great opportunity but for every christian it's an opportunity to renew our hope and to let loose of any false hope we have wrapped our arms around so that we might be invited to exchange our flesh for his glory and be all in on the plans that he has for us. And, and, and again, the indication that we have accepted him, the indication that we have trusted in him isn't and will never be our hype in the buildup, but our hope in the aftermath, and and I think this is something that's hard to see in the mirror because all of us, I mean, who isn't a Christian in the month of December? Who isn't a Jesus follower in the month of December? Who doesn't love Jesus and isn't all about Christ and his gift during the month of December? But come on, the indication that you have trusted in Jesus will never be your hype in the buildup, but it's your hope in the aftermath. And because that's when we're not being carried or assisted by our senses. Do you know that? See, right now, our senses are being triggered by all things Christmas. We touch it and we smell it and we taste it and we see it. But when our senses are no longer carried by the season, when it all comes down to faith, that is the true measure of where our hope is. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 8. If you found your place there in your Bibles, or I would love for you to turn there with me this morning. We'll flip over to Hebrews 10 in a little while as well if you want to bookmark that, but Romans 8, a very famous passage of scripture you are probably well versed in. Uh, Romans 8, Paul is rejoicing at the hope of a world that's completely immersed in Christianity. He's riding to a church in Rome. The empire is about to be changed from the inside out. He is rejoicing. He is stoked because the church is not taking over, but the church's influence is sweeping over the world. He is rejoicing at a world that's completely immersed in Christianity, rooted and grounded in doctrine that was the dream it was becoming a reality but he also wanted the roman church to know the world was still not their friend and the darkness may seem to have retreated but it's still present and it will always come back and it will always try to move your faith and shift your hope away from jesus you know the season right now it makes it easy to follow jesus His name, His Spirit is everywhere, but what about when the lights go off? What about when it's cold and in the doldrums of winter, when spring comes and everything goes well for everyone but us? What then, where then will our hope be? And we've all seen that one gust of wind is all it takes to change the direction of this fragile world. I know that's not really the way to fan in the Christmas flames, but this is about lighting that true flame in our hearts. And that's our goal this season. I want you to listen to what Paul writes to the Romans about their Christian hope. Verse 18 of chapter 8 through 27. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God or the children of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption to the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. For we were saved in this hope. But underline and highlight this next part because it's so important. But hope that is seen is not hope or it's anti-hope. Is literally what the phrase there means. Hope that is, seen, that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what they see? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I want you to focus in on verses 24 through 26. Now, Paul is not trying to stir doubt within us. He's just trying to brush away whether our faith is in the right place. And he wants us to talk about where our hope is. And he doesn't want these Roman Christians who are beginning to live in a world a little more comfortable, a little more easy to be a Christian, a little more, you know, the, it, see, it's the, the magic's in the air. It feels like, you know, that's the right thing to do. But he wants them to brush away all the things that they may have placed their hope in. And he says to them, don't tell me you have hope because of what you can see and what you can hear and what you can taste and what you can feel. Don't tell me you have hope because of the things that you can put your hands on and put your eyes on and you can taste and feel. Don't tell me that. Show me you have hope because of who you have when you have none of those things. Do you hear that? Paul says, I want to see the joy welling up from within you. I don't want to hear about the hope you have because of the things that trigger your senses. I want you to show me the hope you have because of who you have when none of those things are with you. You know why Christmas is the perfect time to consider whether our faith is all hype or if it's really hope? Because there is so much within our reach right now for us to get this right. All throughout the Bible, we see a clear, stern, sobering message from God that there are many false and fragile hopes in this world, but there is one genuine, unshakable hope. Christmas shines a light on the reality that we are hopeless in this world without the one and only intervention from God himself the incarnation but because of his incarnation because he has come to us because he has become one of us because he is with us and did for us what we cannot do for ourselves we are no longer in the shackles of our flesh and its vices we are no longer hopeless but our flesh will still try to put its faith in the wrong things our world will still try to distract us with false hopes or as Paul says anti-hope the incarnation is God's flag in the ground God says to us you were lost without me we can run to him and we can be found because of Jesus there's that line in O Holy Night the thrill of hope a weary world (laughs) rejoices. The incarnation puts an exclamation point on how wearied our world is apart from God. It took his intervention to spare us from our sin and save us from the consequences of our sin. But on the same token, because he has come, there is no question of the opportunity in front of us to be filled with a hope that is out of this world. But if we're going to unwrap the true Christmas gift, and take hold of this thrill of hope, we have got to let loose of and turn loose of any and all false hopes. They're defined for us in verse 24. Hope that is seen is not hope. Paul says, who in the world puts hope in what they see? And that's where you raise your hand and you're looking around the room making sure somebody else is raising their hand first or with you. Don't we all? I mean, who doesn't put hope in what they see? That's what we all do. And Paul says, Christmas is an invitation. It exposes how that is a dead-end pathway and it illuminates that there is a pathway to God by hope in Jesus Christ alone. Eric Geiger, the former president of LifeWay, the content that they put out for the churches. He's a longtime pastor and educator across Baptist and evangelical churches. Eric Geiger years ago said there are four root idols that all of us worship that prevent us from putting our hope in Christ or prevent our hope in Christ from being deeper than surface level. The reason why I think this is a perfect conversation to have during Christmas is because right now the season makes it feel like that we're all just immersed in it. But really right now it's all surface level. It's all just hovering on the surface. But the invitation to us is to take it deeper and to go deeper and receive something real. And to have in our hearts this thrill of hope. During this time of year, the surface level hype is engaged and stimulated, but that's usually how far it goes. Meanwhile, deep down, these idols continue to have our hope. And my goal in the last few minutes is to identify these idols that have the roots so deep within us, expose them, and expose why they're so toxic, and then it's up to you to pull these up by the roots and get rid of them, shatter them, cut them, do whatever you got to do. Get them out, pull them out. Because if you want to receive the true hope of Christmas and not just be all hype, this is a must. So number one, the first idol The first object of our false hope, the first object that we put our false hope in is comfort. So many of us, we put our hope in that which is comfortable. We are all chasing after and longing for comfort. Now, I know what you're thinking. Who doesn't want comfort? Isn't that the dream? Isn't that the American dream? Maybe that's the problem. Now, comfort is not just pertaining to what kind of couch you sit on. But the makeup of your life, for so many Americans, the dream is comfort, it's ease, it's security, it's pleasure, it's leisure. Now this is the one that many of us in this country might actually believe is achievable. But as long as this country is in this world, tracking with me? As long as this country is in this world, no matter how achievable it may seem, Let me just drop some truth that certain people might not want to hear, or some people might want you to ignore, especially politicians. Comfort is a lie and illusion. Constant comfort is not ever going to happen for us. I mean, it's great when you get it, but if you put your hope in it, you know what happens? You know what happens when your hope is in comfort and all you ever think about is, how can I live comfortably? How can everything be easy? How can everything be the way it is, you know, the way everything can be, you know, as easy and accessible and comfortable for me? You know what happens when you don't get your way? You get angry. And that exposes why comfort is such a bad God. God what happens when something messes up your comfort you become the worst person to be around don't you and you know who knows that more than anybody the people closest to you isn't it true you know how you measure the quality of a god when they aren't subject to circumstances or the weather or the forecast that's a good god But comfort is all about those things, and that's why it never produces joy. If your hope is in comfort, you are the most miserable person to be around when you don't get your way. And maybe the reason why there are so few people around you is because nobody likes it when you don't get it. So they stay away. You know why the Bible talks so much about stepping out of our comfort zone? Isn't that true? Have you not heard that all your life? Step out of your comfort zone. You know why the Bible says that again and again and again? Because, you know how the Bible talks about how there's joy at the end of the most uncomfortable pathways? Because comfort is a lousy, unreliable, and joyless God. Following Jesus, trusting in Jesus, requires that we give up on our comfort quest in exchange for true and lasting joy, in exchange for genuine hope. Because there's something better to worship than comfort. Number two, another false hope that we have, another false God that we worship is approval. So many of us are constantly chasing after the approval of other people and we thrive off affirmation. We define ourselves on how others approve us. Now this isn't material like comfort is. This is personal. We seek the approval of people and that's our hope. We put our hope in what people think about us. Maybe we didn't get it at home or at work or growing up and now we're trying to get it and we're constantly worried about it and we're enslaved by other people's opinions of us. Makes me free talking about this. We're always worried that we might offend somebody. And again, here's some more truth for you. Even if you get their approval, you won't accept it. You'll find some reason else to doubt yourself anybody who lives by the approval of others you know what it's like to interact with certain people it's like being skinned alive have you been there you're trying to get somebody's approval and it's just like the whole time you're just being layers are being peeled off of you until your heart's about to be exposed because you are so you're being undone now that's no way to live but a lot of us live that way don't we and even if you get what you wanted for them there's no joy is there So many of us have put our hope in approval. Number three, this is a sister idol to comfort. Another false hope we have is control. Many of us, we are convinced that if we can just manage the world, if we can just put strings in everybody and make them our puppets, oh, how much a better world it would be. If everybody would listen to me, I mean, wouldn't we have a great place to live in? No, no, y'all don't like my world, but maybe you'll like your world, right? We'll find joy, we'll find certainty, we want assurance. If everybody listens to me, we'll all be happy. And here's some more truth. Controlling people make everybody unhappy. And then they get unhappy because nobody else is happy. Controlling people, they themselves can never be truly happy. And you know why they or we blame? You know who we blame for it? Everybody else. The hardest thing for so many of us to do is realize that not everybody thinks like us and processes the world like us, and that's okay. That's okay. Listen, if your God is control, if you think hope is found in control, isn't your life very lonely? And don't you worry a lot? You wonder why the Bible calls us to surrender our control because so many of us have put false hope in it last one false hope number four is power we all want power and we think if we just get power everything will be okay we want influence recognition success money wins we're jealous of those that have it when we lose we're humiliated is that you when you lose when you suffer loss when you do something wrong are you humiliated when you fail, and we all do, do you feel as if you're completely undone? That may reveal that power has become your hope. When the world frustrates our power trips, we are outwardly angry, but inwardly we are very sad. And here's the last last big truth bomb. We are all so, so, so weak. We are all so fragile. All of us are just a phone call away, a doctor's visit away, an unexpected sequence of events away from devastation. If our hope is in our power, we will never find true joy because we're never going to be the most powerful person or the one that we want to be. And and this is the point of all this. Christmas creates a space where weak loss and uncertainty is okay. Okay. If you're somebody who your hope is in comfort, control, power, if your whole life is about seeking the approval of others, what that really reveals is that we are all weak, insecure, uncertain, fragile creatures, and that's okay. And the invitation of Christmas is to quit chasing after those false idols and lay them down. And rejoice because Christmas allows for our weary world to rejoice because the hope it brings is truly and exclusively thrilling if, if, if we'll receive it. But if our hands are, all, are full of these idols, if we cling to these for our hope, we won't and we can't receive our true and only hope. But Christmas surrounds us with the promise That Jesus gives us what this world's comfort and approval and control and power won't and can't. The incarnation of God and his intervention into our sin-scarred, war-torn world proves that in him is a hope that cannot be contested or conquered by temperamental, temporary things of this world. In him is a hope that will put joy down in your soul, that will be with you when you wake up on December 26th, on January 1st, or on the worst day of your life that might come the day after. No matter the weather or the climate, Before we leave, if you would turn over to Hebrews 10, I want you to hear this passage because it's so powerful and I think it just puts a nice book in, a nice bow on what we just read from Romans. Hebrews 10, verse 19 through 25, listen to the writer tell us or speak about this hope that we have in God. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, as in he died for us, Having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works and so much more as we see the day approaching. Two things this passage shouts at us. First thing, you are completely known by God and you are welcomed into his presence. This passage confronts that our nature is an offense to God, yet he still welcomes us because what does it say that Jesus has done for us? By his blood, by his flesh, he is our high priest. He has cleansed our conscience. He has washed us from all of our sin. We can come boldly with assurance This passage says you are completely known by God and you are welcomed into his presence. It confronts the fact that yes, our nature is offensive, but he welcomes us because Jesus was born to die for us. God knows you. He still loves you. And you're still invited to put your hope in him. If you want real life, you've got to get in his presence. And listen, Satan will discourage you by saying you've done too much wrong. Satan will also say and distract you by other things that might be at stake. But let me just put a, put put this around that. Christmas reminds us that we cannot outstand the grace of God. Do you hear that? Jesus came before you ever started sinning, in spite of you going to sin, in spite of all the sin that you have done and will do and are still yet to do. Jesus still came and Jesus still died. You cannot outstand the grace of God. You cannot. And it also tells us that this world's offerings cannot outrival the gift of God. God bids us to put our hope in Jesus, to find a solution for our struggle with sin, to find victory over the vacuum of joy this world puts us in. Second thing this passage tells us is God is faithful. He has given us an unwavering hope. Verse 23, should dominate our minds every single day. Let us hold fast to this confession of our hope that is unwavering. And in this season, all the more. Jesus in the incarnation is the embodiment of our unwavering hope. I said this the other day in our devotion, but not only is his coming proof of our hope, but his wanting to come in the first place is even greater proof. 2 Corinthians 1 Verse 20, Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. There's no greater guarantee than Christmas. The invitation of this season is to fix your eyes on Jesus and don't take them off. But if we're going to fully and finally look to Jesus, to put our hope in Jesus, we've got to fully and finally take our eyes off of our false hope and cast down our idols. You know, We're all bent different ways. Maybe you've got your hope in all four of those false hopes, or maybe you've got your hope in one or two of them. We all bow to one or more of them every day and every oblation towards one of them is time spent from and affection taken away from Jesus. So I ask you, when Christmas is over, when the hype is gone and the lights are off, where will your hope be? You see, the joy of this season and the gatherings that we have and we have left is that we can stir each other up and we need to support each other in our walks and keep each other from falling. Because believe me, a lot of people are just barely holding on over the next couple of weeks. But when the music stops, they're going to be completely out. We can't let anybody fall away or turn back to the false hopes of this world. Later on in Hebrews, the writer says, Therefore, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us. Let our fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus wants to begin something in us that will last. He wants to give us an unwavering hope. So this Christmas, don't settle for hype. Embrace the hope, the gift of his joy and his peace. And reject and repent of anything that competes for it. Because to us and for us, a Savior has come. We don't want to miss what he offers us to all of us in this weary world. The unwavering, the unshakable, lasting, living, thrilling hope of Jesus. You don't want to miss it. And it's available for everybody. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible invitation you've given us thank you for exposing where we put our hope the false idols the false hopes that we embrace thank you for exposing them Lord and I pray everybody here today that would be honest with you and say yes I've put my hope in the wrong places Lord would you help them and by your grace would you rip those roots would you destroy those idols Would you give us all the boldness and the courage to take our hope out of these other things and these false sources? Father, we ask that you might would be in this invitation. If there's anybody in the house today that has never put their faith in Jesus and they they wanna trust him for the first time and they wanna ask him in their hearts, Lord, would you help them to trade the hype of the season for the true hope? And Lord, would you prepare all of us not just for the next week and the week after, but for the weeks after Christmas. Give us a hope that is unwavering, that is unshakable, that is lasting, that is living, that is truly thrilling. The hope of Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.